Jati Tava Jananam Kala Najanati Tava Samapanam Drushtu Maya Tava Mahakara Yogeshwara Kala Kala Yogeshwara Kala Kala Namaskaram to everyone. Guru Purnima. <coughs> As uh, by now all of you know that uh, this is the first full moon, post-summer solstice. It's significant because this is referred to as the sadhana pada in the yogi culture. When sadhana bears best results, making use of planet's relationship with the sun, the shift to the southern run, these six months, which is known as Dakshinayana, Adiyogi, Shiva himself, turns south on this day to acknowledge how significant is the role of sun in our lives. everything that we know as life. From a microscopic organism to ants, insects, birds, animals, plant life and human beings and the very planet itself. The essential energy is sun. It's on solar energy, we're all solar-powered. The very warmth in our body is because of the sun. Having recognized this, to master one's destiny is always an aspiration in every human being. Even in other creatures, they would like to take charge of their life. Well, they don't have the faculties and the means to do it, but a human being has come with the necessary faculties and understanding and awareness to take one's own destiny into their hands. In taking destiny into your hands, which essentially means you go where you want to go, that means you fix the destination. If you want to fix the destination from wherever you are to faraway place, first thing is uh, <laughs> your vehicle should be gassed up, there must be enough fuel. There are many other aspects. But the most important thing is you have the necessary fuel. 
Just look at it in your life. This morning you woke up, if you're bursting with energy, <laughs> you have many aspirations. A little something, just a flu, oh, I'm not supposed to talk about it, this is the virus times, all flus, and every other ailment that human beings have been suffering with are all gone, or at least in nobody's focus, there's only virus. But even if you had a little temperature, a headache, or for some reason your energies are a little low, this day obviously you're not thinking of doing great things. Because the most fundamental thing, to even have the thought process, to even have an aspiration, even to nurture an aspiration, first thing is you must be gassed up. There's no gas in your tank <laughs> You're not planning to go anywhere. You are the kind who will enjoy the parking lot. So the first and foremost thing is to create substantial bursting energy in the system. In this context, a yogi, following the sun cycles is a very important part of yoga because unless you have a bursting sense of energy within you, you will not plan a long journey. You will not chart the course of your destiny. It's all right somehow if you survive. For most people, if they don't get into trouble, they think life is good enough. If you live in a parking lot in your car, generally you don't get into an accident. I'm telling you this safe ways of living. <laughs> generally you don't get into an accident, it's pretty safe. Well, you may get robbed, that's always there, but at least you don't smash up your car. That can only happen if you drive, that can only happen if you're driving a lot, that is, you're making a long-distance journey. So does long-distance journey necessarily mean a disaster? No, long-distance journey means you have an aspiration to craft your own destiny. Crafting your own destiny, though there are various aspects to it, the most fundamental thing is energy. There is substantial energy in the system. To take up anything in the world, also external work, first and foremost thing is you woke up like a burst of energy, otherwise you don't want to take up anything. And as your energies recede, you will become terribly self-centered. You have noticed this with yourself. On a certain day when you're bursting with energy, you can think of everybody's well-being. Another day when you're low, you are not interested whether others live or die. The only thing that concerns is this one. So, lack of energy or paucity of energy naturally breeds a horrible sense of self-centeredness. There's a whole world today talking about me, myself and mine all the time. Simply because when they wake up in the morning, they're not bursting out. Why they're not bursting out? Many reasons. One thing is, uh, it's become fashionable to stay awake 
late into the night. Many of them have become nocturnal creatures. Another thing is, there is a excessive flow of alcohol and other intoxicants flowing around. Once you touch these things, your energies when you wake up in the morning are very low. Once they are low, you are me, <laughs> myself and mine, that's all. You cannot think of anybody's well-being, you will become more and more self-centered because your energies are low. This is a… this is the economics of energy. You don't have the energy to attend to everybody. If you just take care of this one, this is a primary life in your experience. If I just take care of this one, this is good enough. So then, uh, this terrible man, the guru comes. You don't want to wake up in the morning, he gets you up five o'clock in the morning and makes you do all the unpleasant things, twisting, turning, bending, bone bending. <laughs> you were so nice before this, you were sleeping till 9 a.m. Now 4.30 a.m., some of you gone crazy, 3.30, 3 o'clock, happening in the ashram at least, in the yoga center at least people are getting many of them at 3 o'clock because they want to… they want to get, catch the Brahma Mahurtam <laughs> at 3.40 a.m. They want to catch the first rays of sun before it hits a blade of grass. This is important. For a yogi, this is very important. The first rays of sun should fall on me. Not on a blade of grass, not on a worm, not on an insect, it has to fall on me. This is very important for a yogi because he understands the value of knowing that we're essentially solar-powered. How… how well we integrate this energy will determine how energetically we live, how much energy we have to spare will decide how magnanimous we are with our life. Because if you have no energy to spare, you can only think of this one life. Keeping this going itself is a great struggle for a whole lot of people. One thing is, uh, when you become MMM, I think MM is something that you like, many of you are still babies. But I'm talking about MMM, me, myself and mine people. Once you become like this, you will see your mind will be unnecessarily churning up things. There is scientific evidence to show an overactive mind consumes over twenty percent of the energy generated in the system. This big body consumes eighty percent. Just two pounds of brain consumes twenty percent of the energy. In volume, it is disproportionate. This is simply because people's minds are simply running. The more you become triple M, <laughs> the more it consumes energy endlessly. Now of course you have the assistance of uh, the online madness, anything. <laughs> well, that keeps you going because you're not imbibing life. You're mistaking words and information as life. 
Today, <laughs> everybody, I'm just seeing this around, like just about everybody, particularly when it comes to... Of course, political things, there is a certain set of people talking like they're geo geopolitic experts. There are a certain set of people, a whole large segment of people talking like they're doctors. I'm just surprised people around me talking all medical terms, I say, are you doctor? No, no, I saw on the internet. Well, the stupid doctors took nine to eleven years to become doctors. You in ten minutes, I only hope nobody comes under your knife <laughs> because this kind of doctors are a disaster. Unfortunately, you are coming under it all the time and uh, it will be a disaster for sure. Or should I not be informed about your health or about your illness? Internet can only inform you about your illness. Health is generated here. You need to look inward to know how to generate health. If you want to become an expert on all kinds of illnesses, well, you can go and inform yourself. Without knowing the fundamentals of how this works, you know so much about everything. If you know much about health, you will be healthy. If you not know much about illnesses, you will have that. And this is unfortunately the way of life. So, being solar-powered, we want to absorb, organize and store as much energy as possible. So sadhana is there, the various tools, the various kriyas that you're performing, on one level, they're essentially about increasing or enhancing your battery capacity. That means you can go for charging less and less. Well, uh, there are different types of phones. There are phones which are always doing ping, ping, ping for everything that's going by. Those phones need charging three times a day. <laughs> There are some phones which are set in such a way that uh, it will only do what you want it to do, that will go for charging once a day. There are other phones which are usually referred to as dumb phones, which only takes your calls and messages, that you can even do charging once in two or three days. <laughs> as you see, those of you who are doing sadhana, if you are doing not just on the Guru Purnami day, I'm saying if you're doing every day. If you happen to be doing every day, uh, slowly you're noticing the volume of food that you need to eat is coming down. That means you're going for charging less. Less charging means less, less stuff to process, less sleeping means more life to live, many things. Basically, your downtime is going down, maintenance time is going down. This is very important because only if you are charged to a certain level, all the other things will happen. Ah, then the guru comes. There are many ways to look at him. There are many ways to make use of him. Because you're in twentieth century, ah, let me speak your language. Because 
It is always about how to make use of everything. This is our idea of science. Our idea of science is how to use everything in the universe for our benefit. Well, we have even learned to use an invisible atom. Hmm? We can break it, we can fuse it, we can make a bomb out of it, but we still do not know how to handle a virus. So, this is not to just mock science, it is the way we are approaching science because we are looking at science as utilitarian. We are not looking at science as an enhancement of our knowing. We are looking at how to use it, how to use it. Whatever you see, you want to use. We even have learned how to use an atom, a microbial organisms, everything. Once you start looking at how to use life, then all that happens is you will get worn out. So, the guru is a tool, you have to learn how to use him. Hello, you heard me <laughs> How to use him because if he is no use, what good is he? What good is a guru or a god or anything? If he is of no use to you, so how to use him is important, twenty-first century. <laughs> so there are many ways you can use him. One is you can use him as an inspiration. These days, so many people have started coming up to me when I'm traveling, telling me, Sadhguru, I'm your greatest fan. Oh, I say, yesterday I think I met the greatest one, you must be the second greatest. No, no, Sadhguru, I am your greatest fan, all right. I always thought fan should be hanging from a ceiling, but you're coming up to me, it's all right. So, because these people are using me as an inspiration. Uh, daily they will watch one five-minute, ten-minute video on the YouTube and they get inspired in the morning and down by the evening. They'll read one quote and they'll get inspired for ten minutes and go down on the eleventh minute. So every day you need inspiration means what? Every day you're up and down and up and down and up and down. Once you're inspired, huh? inspiration also means your lungs are full, you know, or a balloon is full, once it's full, it must fly. But no, daily inspiration means what, you got too many leaks <laughs> Every day you get inspired, every day you go down, and again tomorrow morning you'll get inspired. So some people use the guru as an inspiration. They're also looking uh, for, uh, you know, something. Something you must say or something you must do that they cannot do or they cannot think of, then they get inspired in the morning, by evening, down. The next set of people, this is uh, particularly in southern India, in certain organizations and things, it's become a very common way of referring to people that matter to them in some sense. Many times I get introduced like this.
Somebody says, he's my friend, philosopher and guide, my eyeballs pop out. When did I become your friend? When did I teach you any philosophy? And when did I guide you? But they think that is a great thing. See, if you find a friend, what kind of friend will you find? You'll always look for a friend who agrees with you, who supports your ignorance in every possible way, that's always your friend. If you're a smoker, you need a smoking friend. If you're a drinker, you need a drinking friend. If you're a meditator, you need a meditating friend. Somebody who supports your nonsense is your friend. If he every day pulls down your nonsense, finished, your friendship is over with him. So me, a friend, is a bad friend <laughs> because this is my full-time job, pull down your nonsense, pull down your nonsense, pull down your nonsense. Initially when you're willing, after some time even when you're not willing, Philosopher? Definitely not. Because what a guru does is not a teaching, is not a philosophy, is not an ideology. It is not even an advice. It is a certain transmission. Do you have the antenna or not? So we taught you sadhana so that slowly you will grow antenna to perceive. If you don't have perception, you're listening to the words and making your own philosophies out of it. I want you to clearly know they are your philosophies because I don't have any. So definitely not your philosopher. A guide, well, uh, there are certain set of people, whenever they want to take major decisions in their life, they come and Sadhguru, they've already consulted their lawyer, their accountant and uh, that everybody, one final consultation they want. Because after all, anyway, it's free consultation with Sadhguru <laughs> So, they want to consult Sadhguru, can you guide me? Anyway, if I make the mistake of telling them, okay, do this, uh, at least ninety percent of the people will go and do part of it, and part of it as their lawyer told, as their accountant told and somebody else told them. So guidance I usually don't give, if they come to me with a confusion, I will confuse them further and send them because a misguided person should not ever think he's guided. It's very important. Small things, yes, but with life there is no guidance, I want you to understand. This is self-guided. This doesn't need guidance, this needs enhancement. If it is guided, it will go here or there. It will not go to its ultimate destiny. So, a friend, philosopher, guide, when they introduce me like this, I squirm <laughs> because because this is in a public place. Today is Guru Purnima, I can say whatever I want to say, this is my day. Because these days uh, it is so happening, which I'm going to change in the next few couple of years, so I, I think. Maybe the virus will make me change it little faster. 
Last few years, particularly in the last seven, eight years, uh, I'm being analyzed like I'm some kind of a political leader or a public figure. Everything that I say is being looked at from the context of what's happening today in the country or in the world. Oh, he said this, maybe this is what he's making commentary on the prime minister or the president of this country or that country. No, I'm not interested in commenting on today's events unless it directly comes to me. This is very important, that you do not understand or you do not misunderstand everything that is done in the context of current reality. Are those things so situations will go? As you see, what was yesterday's big headline in your newspaper, after three days it means nothing. Every other day it's going away. So I'm not talking about those things, sometimes we may use it as an analogy, but we are not talking about the, that stuff. But because of the social media and other things, uh, we are being constantly looked at like we are some kind of every statement, <laughs> profound statements which are made are uh, being looked at by, what do you call them? These people who are on Twitter and stuff, unfortunately, a certain number of people or a certain percentage of people on Twitter think just because they're bird-brained, they have the right to tweet. No, no, you also need to have some wings. If you have a bird brain, you must compensate with wings to fly. If you don't have wings and just have a bird brain, you should not be tweeting. But they are tweeting all the time endlessly about everything in the universe. It's okay, this is a newfound freedom that they have because the way their minds are functioning, if they speak, not two people in their family will listen to them. So the only thing that they can do is put out their trash out there in the social media. Well, Sadhguru, you are hitting out of… I'm not hitting out at anybody, today is not a hitting day. I'm just telling you, this is the reality. And if you… I'm talking about me being a tool, if you want to use me as an effective tool. So inspiration, okay, but if you are going to remain inspired, every day you need inspiration, this is simply because there is not enough energy in you to sustain you. Friend, philosopher, guide, that's not the way at all. The next possible way, which is a meaningful way to use a guru is, you use him as a doorway. You want to go through him. If you want to walk through a doorway, you must be little smaller than the doorway, otherwise you won't fit. This is the nature of the doorway. This is not my <laughs> my demand on you, but uh, you need to be a little smaller than the doorway. Otherwise, uh, you know, getting stuck in the doorway is not a great thing. <coughs> this is happening to some people that they get stuck in the doorway and they think, they're complaining, why can't they make the door little bigger? Well, if I make the doorway little bigger, you may puff up little more. Right now obesity is a huge problem on the planet, they're telling me thirty percent of the world's population 
is obese. So, there is always a possibility that if we increase the size of the doorway, you will become bigger and still you won't fit. So you need to shrink a little bit. Your sense of who I am has to come down. I've probably told you this in the past a few times, but let me tell you again. When I was a child, uh, I was fascinated by all these animals in the zoo. It was… It, it caught my attention in such a big way, almost whenever possible, if not every weekend, at least one or two weekends in a month, I'm at the Mysore Zoo. A whole variety of animals. And I went and spent the whole day and uh, I made friends there, some of them started responding to me because I went with what they like. <laughs> so generally, uh, because I'm going out to the zoo, I'm talking about when I'm eight, nine years of age, my mother gives me two rupees. Two rupees is a luxury those days. So these two rupees, and uh, she's also packed something for me to eat, so that's good enough for me. These two rupees, I go and buy three, four kilograms of rotten fish. If you go deep into the fish market, you will get yesterday's fish, which smells. Not fully gone, it's still good. Only it's uh, innards, it's intestines and others going bad, most people won't eat it. Sometimes if you go to a nice restaurant, they may serve you that. Because I've seen some restaurant owners coming and buying the same fish that I bought for my pets in the zoo. <laughs> so I went this bag of fish, I spent my two rupees here and uh, just kept ten paisa for return bus ride. So when you go to the zoo, they had put up a gate where uh, if you… if you want to go walking straight, you need to buy a ticket. Otherwise, little less than three feet, they had put up one bar. If you're willing to crawl and go, it's free. What's my problem? I crawled and went every time. Saved the <laughs> entry fee for the zoo, but I had so many fish and, you know, I went and fed all these seals and various other animals and birds which love fish. And uh, whenever I come, some of them started recognizing me. Even if I come after a month, the moment they see me, they will make merry, very happy noises because I'm feeding them this fish. So, one who is willing to bend down and go, even a small doorway is good enough. One who wants to go puffed up, uh, even a hundred foot doorway is not good enough for him because he will puff up more. See, people… <laughs> I… I was with uh, certain people at one time, they were around me for a few months. And this lady was crying bitterly one day, and her husband desperately trying to console her and all that stuff. Then I saw and then I asked, what's the matter? No, 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 she… you know, she's missing some things. I said, what is she missing? You are here, she is here. 
Sun has come up, what's there to miss? It seems she was working in a corporate house for about three or four years. Where in this particular corporate house, because she held some finance position there, always somebody opened her car door and closed it for her, every door was opened for her. Now she's lost the job and nobody opening doors for her, so she's taking it out on the husband, that he has to open doors. This is after more than two years of after having lost the job, she's still missing that nobody opens the doors. And I said, uh, ask her to commit some crime and go to the prison. They always open doors for you and they close it for you. No, 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 Sadhguru, she's very delicate on these things, no, no, no. I said, bring her here, I'll let me... <laughs> then uh, I think in another six months she got cured of it. <laughs> opening doors and closing doors business <laughs> So I'm saying if you're so puffed up, you can't go through any doorway. So you can use a guru as a doorway, but you have to shrink a little bit. If you do not know how to shrink yourself, you're too puffed up, then open doorway is no good. Actually a closed doorway is better, at least you can bang your head and come back. Open doorway, you may go there and get stuck. Uh, many of you, not many of you, some of you are feeling like this with Sadhguru. You came and you entered, it was all wonderful, but you got stuck there. You're not able to go forward, you're not able to go backwards. <laughs> I'm not laughing at your plight, I'm laughing at your basic ignorance of life, that you don't understand that if you have to go through a door, you must be little smaller than the doorway. Only then you can go through, otherwise you cannot. This is simple understanding. I am laughing at that foolishness, not at your plight of being stuck. You can shrink a little bit today and easily you can go forward. The next dimension of how you use a guru is, he is your destination. You have made it in such a way within yourself, that he is your destination. You don't want to go anywhere beyond that. You're not even looking at him as a doorway. If he's a wall, it doesn't matter. You just want to go there. Well, if you become like this, then naturally certain things will unfold. But you may again and again go and knock your head on the wall, so, everything is fulfilling, at the same time, little pain in the forehead will happen because repeated knocking on the wall. Certain amount of uh, what to say, there is fulfillment, there is a little bit of… this… this may sound contradictory to you, but a whole lot of you are going through this. A certain sense of fulfillment is there in what you're doing and how you are, and you can easily look back and see how you were a few years ago and how you are today, but there's little frustration because uh, the guru doesn't yield, he's like a rock. Destination is always like that <laughs> So those of you who are going through that, 
The next dimension of how to use a guru, the tool of a guru, how to use him as a tool is that he's become your dharma, he's become your breath, he's become your body, he's become your being. If this happens, now you are just ecstatic, you have no likes and dislikes of your own, you have no choices of your own, you have no preferences of your own, you don't have any values, morals, ideals, nothing. The guru's energy and his presence has become your dharma, it's your very way of being. If you become like this, I will make sure you are ecstatic every moment of your life, for sure. Because ecstasy is not the goal. If you're ecstatic, it's just that you don't care where the hell you go. If you're really ecstatic, you don't mind going and living in hell. What's the problem? Only if you're truly ecstatic, will you take up whatever is needed in this world? Whatever, it doesn't matter, it's easy, it is difficult, it's possible, it's not possible, nothing matters because anyway you are wonderful. What you do is just according to the needs because there is a certain amount of time for this life, there is a certain amount of software that it needs to work out, there is a karmic bundle which needs to dissolve, ah, we will live doing something. What should we do? When nothing matters, when I'm ecstatic, what to do? What is needed? If… Uh, <laughs> if rivers are becoming meager, we will talk rivers. If virus is all over the place, we will talk virus. Whatever is needed, we will simply do because anyway we have bursting energy and we are ecstatic, so what the hell? Whatever, doesn't matter, there is no choice of action. So I see that there are many people, fortunately now, you can put them into any kind of activity. Today they're managing something, tomorrow we'll say, you work in the kitchen, day after tomorrow, clean the toilet. They're perfectly fine because nothing matters. This is important that what you do, where you are, what you eat, how you are, doesn't matter to you simply because this is a test whether you're blissful or not. If you're blissful, if you're really blissed out, then what does it matter what you do and what you do not do? If you close your eyes also, it's wonderful. If you're super active also, it's wonderful. This freedom, once you have, then there is no worry about anything. You don't have to worry about your mukti. You don't have to worry what is the ultimate nature of life. You don't have to understand a damn thing, I'm telling you. You don't have to read a scripture, you don't have to even listen to me <laughs> You… you just have to sit there and be blissed out. Because once you are like this, then life carries you on. There is no need for you to carry life. I am seeing many of you, the moment you are given an important responsibility, then you start having that look on your face like you are the spinner of the planet. <laughs> you start thinking, you're the one who is spinning it and you're afraid it may go off fast or it may go slow. No, 
you are not the spinner of this planet. I'm, I'm just informing you, in case you've taken the title upon yourself, that's not your designation, you're a bloody small creature who has immense possibility. And possibilities will become realities only if you explore them. Otherwise, possibilities are just empty words. Possibilities are just empty nonsense if you do not explore the possibility. Whether it's a physical worldly possibility or an inner dimension, both are same. If you do not explore the possibility, it is just empty talk. So unfortunately in the world, on this day I would like to remind everyone that unfortunately in the world, spirituality has largely become reading spirituality, talking spirituality, listening spirituality, entertainment. Well, it might have brought some benefit to you in terms of physical well-being, in terms of health. Maybe at least it gave you a break, you know. Uh, <laughs> this was a... There was a time when we conducted a twenty-one day meditation camps in a remote place near Mysore. That time the arrangements are not like how they are today, either here at Triple I or any Shayoka center in India. Arrangements are very, very meager. Uh, we teach, we work, we cook, we do everything ourselves. So, you know, food is also... One day, <laughs> we keep the rice for cooking and uh, the class time extends itself and it gets overcooked, another day it's undercooked, another day it's like this, every day food was of different varieties. The only thing we knew how to cook was sambar and rice. We didn't know how to cook anything else. Now my sambar has become of epic proportions, okay, because of those years of practice. <laughs> so the same sambar, we made it taste different every day. The same rice, we gave it in different consistencies every day, so that people don't feel bored eating the same stuff <laughs> Those were the days <laughs> So, because of this, twenty-one days, everybody, it's a small group of people, maybe around uh, forty, forty-five people, in a very remote place where you have to carry your water almost half a kilometer for everything that you have to use, there's only one tap outside, from there you have to carry water, everything. And then I saw one young woman, like uh, in her late twenties, who was not interested in anything. She cannot even close her eyes and sit for two minutes. Then I one day called her and asked her, you know, you're here, why are you here first of all? This must be torture for you because you're not interested in anything that's happening here. And she told me crying, the only reason why she's here is, she wants to be away from her mother-in-law. I don't know how many of you 
have escaped in-laws, outlaws, whatever else you have in your life <laughs> So, <laughs> she was bitterly crying and saying, it is so torturous at home, she is willing to do any work here. So, <laughs> we do not know why different people take to spiritual process, but you must understand, spiritual process is not an escape, it is a transcendence. Well, it'll liberate you and free you from many things, but not if you approach it as a means to escape. When I say your guru has become your dharma, that means he has become everything. The way you breathe, your breath is decided by him, your body, the way your blood flows is decided by him. If you imbibe this energy, you will become like this and then you're naturally ecstatic, once you're ecstatic, whether you live for five, min uh, five minutes, five years or hundred years, doesn't matter because it all feels the same way and what activity you're doing, where you are, what you're eating, doesn't matter simply because you're completely blissed out. This is important because this is what freedom means. You become free, not because you think I'm free. You become free because your experience is independent of what's happening around you. Your experience is independent of the comfort or discomfort of your body. Your experience is completely independent of what thoughts and emotions are passing through in your mind. Once your experience of life becomes independent of all these things, this is a living mukti. Once you live like this, you don't worry about where are you going. It doesn't matter because inevitably a life which has blossomed will naturally go to the right place, there is no other way. But Sadhguru, I would like to become like that but I have some doubt. No, I'm not going to clear your doubt today because you created the doubt. You get rid of it. <laughs> this happened at one time, not now, at one time Shankaran Pillai was an out-and-out out pessimist. So, he was visiting Tennessee and he went out with a friend, a local friend that he made for bird hunting. So they went to certain places where there was little marshlands and uh, they sat down waiting. When the birds flew, the friend picked up his shotgun and boom! Every time a bird fell in the marsh, his dog, the bird hunting dog, just ran upon the water like Jesus, ran upon the water, picked up the bird and brought it back, picked up the bird and brought it back, every time. The friend was looking at Shankaran Pillai for the effect. Shankaran Pillai was just looking bored and looking at this whole thing. Then after many forays like this, the dog actually walking, running on the water, picking up the bird and coming back, then uh, what to do with these Indian guys? 
who are not impressed with miracles because they come from a country <laughs> which has seen too many miracles and claims of miracles all over the place, that he's not impressed. Then his friend asked, what do you think about my dog? Sankaran Pillai said, the damn thing cannot even swim. What do I do? <laughs> so you clear your own doubts. If you have doubts, you clear it. It's been long enough, I've been around. <laughs> if you have doubts, you work it. If you have questions, not doubtful questions, questions to enhance something, please let's go to the questions. <laughs> Namaskaram Sadhguru. This is the day Adi Yogi became the Adi Guru, but before him, was there no way for seekers to access the dimension of Guru? <laughs> well, uh, uh, we have spoken sometimes before, but anyway, now that you asked the question, this will uh, again inflame the social media. <clears throat> See, as per certain astro astronomical events, and also certain geological events in terms of how they describe the geography, and in terms of certain major geological events that happened when a certain mountain blew its volcanic uh, top. If by looking at these things, they… for example, there are Vedas, the Rig Veda of the four books, people should not misunderstand because when I say a book, People understand that an entire religion is packed in a book. No, in the East it's not like that. Because there is no belief system, it is not packed in a book. Vedas were essentially the only library that they had at the time. So everything that they knew, they wrote it down. Vedas talk about how to build a very efficient bullock cart how to raise a particular crop, how to manage water in the village, and also talks about how to realize oneself. Essentially, it was a one-book library. All the knowledge they had, they packed it into one book. Today, if you walk into a library, anywhere, particularly in the United States, probably it'll have two, three million books or more. I'm just estimating, I walked into some libraries and I looked around, how many could be there? I've not checked exactly, but easily over one or two million books could be there. Because everybody can write a book now. You know <laughs> Everybody can write a book. How I escaped or how I fought through the pandemic times. I think a lot of books are going to come now, everybody will write. 
So those days it is not like that. Knowledge was gathered, a farmer discovered something about agriculture. The wise men in the town or in that culture noted, oh, this is important, they wrote it into one book. In the same book, a yogi realized something, he spoke about something of great significance. That also was put right next to the farmer's realization of to how to grow a crop. So it is a one-book library. Looking at some of the astronomical events that they recorded, one important thing is, it is estimated it could be over hundred thousand years ago. One important aspect that we have to note is, there is no mention of Himalayas in the Rig Veda. They're talking about all the other mountain ranges in the Indian subcontinent, there is no mention of Himalayas. When… when you talk about mountains anywhere in the world, you cannot ignore Himalayas, there is no way. Those of you who have not traveled to Himalayas, especially if you are born in India and not tra had not… have not traveled to Himalayas, you must pack your stuff, you must get there as quickly as possible, it's something that you cannot miss. It is a… literally an endless mountain, I know there is a mountain uh, in United, United States called Endless Mountain, not like that, this is really, really endless mountain. <laughs> the immensity of it is simply overwhelming for any human being. There are various other dimensions to it, leaving that. So there is no mention of Himalayas, especially when you're talking about mountain systems in the subcontinent. How can you ignore Himalayas? They did not ignore it because it was not there. Himalayas is of a recent origin. It was… it has grown because the subcontinent plate is crashing into the main Central Asian plate and it's going up, it's still a growing mountain. So it dates back to that time. Did everything… was everything written at one time? No. This… this book might have grown in its volume over thousand, two thousand, three thousand years, we don't know. But definitely it dates back to that kind of time. So we started talking about fifteen thousand years, not because that is the date, because we have some iconographic proof that twelve thousand years ago, there was an image of Adiyogi on the coins that they made. Based on this, we are saying around fifteen thousand. But all other things say it was much beyond. So much beyond means, in most part of the world at that time, uh, most people were still… still hanging from the trees. There was no need for any spiritual teaching or methodology because literally everybody across the planet was fighting for their survival. They did not think of anything more than how to survive this day. But fortunately, as Himalayas grew and the land got protected by the mountains, no invaders, no rampaging hordes came from anywhere else. As this happened, those five, six, seven thousand years of peaceful existence happened. That is when the seekers came, because now they had a stable life, they had mastered agriculture to some extent. 
Because of that, they started living in one place, food was stored up and kept, every day you didn't have to go hunting. Now, human mind started looking what more, that's when the seeking happened. So the question of before Adiyogi, was there no possibility? Maybe there was, but definitely there was no organized approach to it. What Adiyogi gave is not that we do not know, that he is the first one to realize. Maybe others realized but had no means to express it, no knowledge to express it, no, you know, a profound sense of understanding to put it out as a science. So Adiyogi opened up this possibility that every human being can enhance himself or herself if they are willing to strive. This is the most important aspect of his life. For the first time, a clear statement that you are not a fixed life. You are not a fixed life like other creatures on this planet. All other creatures are fixed between two lines, that's all their life is. The possibility of what they can be is fixed. Adiyogi Kapman opened this doorway to a larger world that you are not a fixed life. If you are willing to strive, there are possibilities beyond what you consider as natural limitations of life. So this possibility of evo evolution, conscious evolution is the significant contribution of Adiyogi. And it is not just a statement, there is an entire method. Not one method, one hundred and twelve methods for every kind of human being. Looking at the human mechanism in its entirety and exploring all possibilities of it. Does it mean to say no individual could have not realized before him? They might have, but we have not heard of them. They are not recorded, they have no teaching, they have no method that's been passed on. So, because they were not... See, if you look back today in terms of anthropology or archaeology, if you look at it in terms of archaeology, what do they usually find? They find some pottery, some scratchings like... Uh, which are called art, in... on caves, uh, cave walls. A carved rock also wears out, but pottery, burnt clay, it stays. Bricks and pottery stays. So usually this is what you find. But a human being realized, that is not a pottery, that is not a monument, so you archaeologists will not find it. If you look at further out into the thing about looking at human bones, human skeletons somewhere, well, your enlightenment will not be shining in your bones that you see after ten thousand years of twenty-five thousand years of whatever. So because of that, there is no record. But because Adiyogi started a tradition, he trained these seven fantastic human beings to take it around the world and he spread them so that if it... if they all go to one place, it may live there for some time and die. So he spread them to different parts of the world so that it lives in its various dimensions and forms. Because of that, it still lives. Well, Adiyogi, Adiyogi also did not write a book.
he only spoke to them. I don't think even the Saptarishis wrote it down, they also spoke to people. Much further down, we don't know how much further down, somebody started writing down these things. But because they managed to produce such highly dedicated human beings, that is, those human beings who took their guru as their dharma, his energy flowed in their… Uh, in their bodies, his, it's his breath that they were breathing. Because of that, without distortions largely it came, till the printing press came. <laughs> After the modern printing press came, all kinds of ridiculous interpretations of this happened. Uh, there was a… you know, there is… <laughs> I have a lot of books at home. Most of them, ninety-five percent or more of… more, I've never opened them. Just to make me look little educated, you know, in case anybody visits. Real books, not just fake ones, real books. The only things I've read among them is some novels, some books on history, but none of the other things I've read. But obviously, people keep bringing books to me, they think they need to educate me on yoga. <laughs> because they can clearly see I'm illiterate and I'm going on about yoga. So some book was given to me <coughs> excuse me. An art paper with lots of diagrams, but it's printed on art paper with lots of diagrams, pictures and everything. So yesterday for some reason I was uh, near the bookshelf and I saw Yoga Sutras. This problem came because, you know, our new book is titled as Karma Sutras. The publishers are having a problem because they think their people will read it as Kama Sutras. <laughs> I said, maybe in America only people have heard of Kama Sutras, but there is Yoga Sutras, there is Shiva Sutras, there is Brahma Sutras, there are various sutras. Sutra means it is in that kind of a form, that it is a thread that holds things together. So I'm still trying to convince the publisher, the sutra word must be there because long term this will make a difference. It's unfortunate, in United States people have heard of only Kama Sutra. So I saw this Yoga Sutra book and I picked it up and, you know, I always open the book in some middle page. I don't start from the beginning because I can never stand those introductions. <laughs> so some page I open and, uh, well, they have put the Sanskrit form of the Yoga Sutra, then the English version of it. And uh, this author, whoever, I didn't see whether it's an Indian author or an American author, but uh, going about explaining these Yoga Sutras in such a horribly ridiculous way, ludicrous. 
then uh, I just… just saw one page and I said, hats off to this man's confidence. Recently, <laughs> one of the quotes said, confidence and stupidity are a dangerous combination or something like this and they often come together. So three, four days it's been on the Twitter, negative uh, tweets on me. How I don't understand what is confidence and what is… <laughs> three days there is uh, trending tweets against me because confident and stu confidence and stupidity goes together. Well, this man is a, a real example of confidence <laughs> and stupidity going together absolutely. He read the English words, whoever translated it, he read those English words and he thought he got the Yoga Sutras. Maybe never even closed his eyes for two minutes in his life, but uh, he got the Yoga Sutras. And uh, <laughs> most ludicrous explanation of what this sutra is about. Well, this is what Adiyogi meant to change because he made sure that these seven people absolutely invested themselves in him before anything happened. This is a little difficult in twenty-first century, but fortunately, uh, in many ways, we're doing even better than Adiyogi because we more… we have more than seven people <laughs> more than seven people and uh, I don't know the exact number, I think it was eleven or twenty-one. When Gautama was to attain his Mahaparinirvana, after he was poisoned, he knew he won't make it. So he… he couldn't sit up so he was lying down and uh, he said only, those who have realized should be with me at this point. Others, because they will waste time about being concerned about, oh, he's dying and somebody will start crying and somebody will try to bring a doctor, all this. So he… he wanted only those who realized. I'm not sure about the number because in some places I think they said eleven, in certain other places I saw it was twenty-one, so I'm not really sure about that. But whatever, let's say twenty-one people gathered. Well, you know Jesus, the Last Supper, when he knows in some way that his life is coming to an end, only twelve people gathered and you know it is actually eleven. <laughs> it's a deceptive dozen. So like this, Krishna, such a fantastic being, only one, that sense we're doing very well. Do I have more than eleven, twelve, twenty-one? Yes, I think <laughs> uh, This is because uh, one thing is all those great beings, the contributions that they made and the cultures that they created, well, some people became fan clubs fighting against each other, Shiva fan, fan club fighting against Krishna fan club, or rather Krishna fan clubs fighting against 
uh, Shiva fan clubs, Rama fan clubs fighting against Krishna fan clubs. Recently there was a big controversy because somebody who does only Ram Katha in the country, that he speaks only of Ram, it seems said something derogatory or people perceived it as derogatory to Krishna and there was a big uproar about that. So there are fan clubs which will fight, but there are sensible people who understand these different streams of knowledge which float through traditions and out of that people have evolved to a certain level of understanding, certain level of receptivity and also because the population, nobody had 7.4 billion population, all right, none of those great beings had this kind of population. So naturally we must have a little more numbers around us than they had. Our population must have multiplied, I don't know, maybe ten thousand times since Adiyogi. <laughs> I'm not sure, I can't make a calculation. But from the beginning of twentieth century, we have <clears throat> gone up what from 1.6 billion to 7.6 billion or 7.5 billion, whatever it is. So that is uh, literally four times or nearly five times up. So you can imagine fifteen thousand years ago what was human population and what it is today. So we must multiply seven into that many, we can't take credit because we just have too many people. <laughs> so now the aspiration, the seeds of aspiration, We've been sowing for last many, many years. Fortunately, we also have tools of communication that nobody ever had in the history of humanity, that we can communicate to the whole world. Right now, it's estimated that we have touched over a billion people. At least a billion people have watched more than two or three videos. This will multiply into two to three billion in the next one or two years' time. So this advantage nobody else had. So we cannot gloat about the numbers, we need to have manifold more who will make their guru, their dharma, that is their very breath and body breathes the guru. Then it's very easy, life becomes very easy. I don't have to work hard, you know. Namaskaram Sadhguru. See, the Indian people are slow, they're getting it slow. Almost thirty seconds after I say anything, then their face brightens up. <laughs> Why are you guys so slow? See, they still didn't get it. Ah, they got it <laughs> Namaskaram Sadhguru. I just came back home after spending three months of lockdown in the ashram and I am forever grateful to you and everyone there who give themselves so totally. I'm back home and I feel I owe it to my guru and to the people there to help. On this Guru Purnima, I would like to ask Sadhguru, what can I do for my guru? Is this Adiyogi asking the question? Is it Adiyogi asking the question? What can you do for your guru? <laughs> oh. 
I think they already had the question ready in their head. They didn't listen to me, what I was saying all this time. Anyway, what can you do? Well, you don't have to do anything to him because he is not him or her. Now is he this or that? So you can't do this or that to him. You leave him alone. But you're striving for your well-being. He is striving for everybody's well-being. If you can your… if you can expand your striving from being my well-being to a larger well-being, well, it would make his life little easy. And he could be a little better failure than what it is looking like right now. When I say little better failure, you know I have spoken many times. When I was twenty-five, when I realized if I don't mess with my mind, I can be ecstatic any moment of my life. When I realized this, and when I experimented in so many ways, in various kinds of situations, it doesn't matter where I am, in what kind of conditions I am, if I just take my hand off my mind, I'm just bursting with ecstasy. Then I knew this is it. I thought I was the first one to discover. You know, I'm like Columbus. Columbus discovered America. Well, before him, for thousands of years, people have been living here, but he discovered. Similarly, in the Indian school textbooks, we read, Vasco de Gama discovered India. <laughs> this Portuguese guy came and discovered India. No, it was there before that, we've been there for thousands of years before that as a well-organized culture, but he discovered us. Just like that, I discovered that if I don't mess with my mind, I'm ecstatic. Because… because right from my very early age, <laughs> I must tell you, somewhere deep inside I've been so arrogant, that I never read anything. I thought or I didn't even think because life engaged me. From a very early age, plants, animals, tadpoles, <laughs> frogs, fishes, insects engaged me so deeply and of course say cobras, they engaged me so deeply that I never thought it's necessary to open a book and read it. So definitely I did not read the Yoga Sutras. Though I was practicing yoga, intensely practicing yoga, but never bothered to read Yoga Sutras. I remember when I went to Maladhi Swami's uh, ashram, to for my first tint of yoga, 
I've... you know, many years later after things happened to me, I remembered, always there were books on yoga, written by him and also other things. Yoga Sutras written in Kannada, I still remember that entire... It was a library with hardly thirty, forty books, so I remember almost all the titles that were there. But I never bothered to pull out one damn thing and read it. Because uh, life kept me engaged. What's why... what was happening within me, what was happening around me, kept me fully engaged. I never thought I had to open and read something. Except the compulsory books, like textbooks. That also I read only thirty-five percent of it because I was only aiming to get thirty-five percent. So I never read the Yoga Sutras, nowhere did I come across Yoga Chitta Vritti Niroda. This I heard many, many years later. So when I realized that if I don't mess with my mind, I'm just ecstatic and it can be very easily done and I knew how to do it. I sat down and made a plan, a real plan. In two and a half years' time, I will make the whole world ecstatic. Still, you're still sitting there and gaping at me. Huh? Thirty-eight years, huh? Well, here and there we see tears of ecstasy, but not the whole world, it's not happened. So we're still striving. And uh, people are so invested in their miseries. You know, I never imagined that people would be so invested in their miseries. Things that cause enormous distress to them, they're so invested they will not leave it no matter what. I did not realize this when I was twenty-five. I thought, if you give a better option, everybody will jump. But no, they won't leave the familiar because they are so horribly invested in their insecurities and miseries. So having said that, but as I said, we are not doing very badly. We are definitely going to fail in my lifetime. I don't feel that way, but you can see, it's in the evening <laughs> This is not the morning of my life, towards the evening. Not at sunset, there is still a lot more. You know, before sunset there are a lot of colors, all right? It's the grandest time for the sun in terms of scenery. So still there is a lot of scenery, but in terms of time, energy and the size of the population, we know we will die of failure. If you can in increase my percentage, if you can be a part of increasing this percentage, in whichever way possible, constantly on it. Not one day when you come visit the yoga center, you are constantly on it according to your capacity. I am not asking you to do the same things that somebody else is doing, or I am doing to your capacity, if this matters to you. Now you said, this three months lockdown, I really enjoyed Isha Yoga Center. In many ways, Isha Yoga Center in India and also here, here many people did not walk in before the lockdown, but there over three thousand people. And the amount of work we are doing in the villages, 
with not a single infection, everybody absolutely safe, a large premises where people can move around, all protocols followed, sadhana happening wonderfully. Weather cooperated, monsoon, pre-monsoon rains came early and eased the summer off pretty easy. With all this, last three months have been wonderful, I must tell you this. In the last forty years or more probably, in the last forty-five years, I've never stayed home for more than twelve to fifteen days ever. The first time I stayed home, slept on the same bed for over eighty-five days. It's been very good, been eating good food, sleeping well, no travel, well, it's been good for you, I'm glad, but you need to understand this. This goodness that you experience, for this, there are so many people out there, hundreds of them, who are incessantly working just for this one thing, that it must happen to more people than what is there right now. So if you want to do something for me, this is what you should do. How do I do? You tell me, what is your capability? If you have time, we will tell you what you can do. If you have some other talent or capability, we will tell you what you can do. If you have money, we will tell you what you can do. That's the easiest thing. Because all these things are needed. We need a striving from a significant population so that we will be better failures than right now the trajectory is. And we are going to make sure that in the next few years, we will definitely hit, hit a higher trajectory. And if you want to be a part of it, if you want to put your energies into it, whatever you have, you can put it as a part of this. Many things are going on right now. One thing is uh, the online inner engineering program is being offered at a discounted price for everybody and free for all the medical personnel. I'm glad to see that nearly eighty-five thousand medical personnel have made use of it till now in the last three years, it's fantastic. I hope it's keeping them up. Many of them are sharing what a difference it's made in these hard times for them because it's been a very trying uh, situation. This is also available for police officers. However, I think nearly uh, about 170 police officers have died in India of COVID because they were the main enforcers of lockdowns. Probably nowhere else in the world lockdown was enforced so rigidly as India did. So numbers speaks for that in many ways for the concentration of population there is. And the medical staff is being stretched to the limits. Many of them have not gone, ho gone home for a month or two, they are staying in hotel rooms and serving in the hospitals because they are afraid their families will get it. Uh, I, a lady doctor in Delhi was sharing this, unfortunately, that her husband had diabetes, so they made sure he never steps out of the house, he was kept safe at home. But uh, she was serving in the hospital, 
and a few days she came home to repack her clothes and stuff like that, you know. You… you have to wash your clothes, you have to do things, there is chores to do. So she came home a few times and he died. She… she was sharing on the video, it was most heart-rending that she said, it's me, it's me who did this to him. He was… he did not even step out of the house, but I brought it home. So these kind of things are happening to people. So, we are offering all this. If you have to offer something free, you must understand all of us have to work extra to keep the free thing going. A whole lot of people thinks it just falls out of the sky, that's not how it is. So as a part of this, now they've started this movement called Sangamitra, more details can be had on the website. This is about many, many, many people have always told me, Sadhguru, how can we contribute? But till now, as a rule, I've never openly asked for money. Only when this virus situation struck and I saw people were beginning to starve around us, I said, please, we need money. And uh, fortunately, people responded. We are able to cook for thirteen to fifteen thousand people every day. Still it's going on for last three months and our boys are out there in the villages serving every one of them. Uh, this may… this may not be understood in many parts of the world what it means, but in India, the daily wagers, if they don't go to work for a week or two weeks, they have run out, their economy is over. The only way is to starve. I could not believe in rural India, that this was beginning to happen, we thought this would be an urban phenomena. But in rural India when it started happening, we reached out and many people have been contributing. Now there are various aspects to this. We don't want to take up too many social causes, but of course Kaveri Calling is there. In spite of the pandemic, the work on the ground has been happening as it should happen. Over eleven million saplings are going to be planted now in the monsoon time. In farmlands, this is not in some barren land, this is in farmlands planted by the farmer, so you can expect ninety to hundred percent, uh, you know, survival rate because it is being grown as a crop, not as a forest. So tree-based agriculture is taking root which is a, a long-term well-being for the farmers. And uh, we are also looking at how to make at least one-third of human diet should come from the trees. This must happen everywhere. We are looking at making this happen in the Kaveri belt to start with, but uh, this is necessary that at least one-third of the food should come from trees. And if you want to go into the statistics, we are… we are starting… we are in the process of laying out a movement called Conscious Planet. All our plans have been pushed a little bit. This is about making people conscious, because that's the only problem we have. Unconscious human beings are the only problem you have on this planet. Even now this pandemic flying around the country, flying around the world like this is basically because of unconscious human beings. If only human beings were a little more conscious, very easily we could have contained this. All it takes is, if today Guru Purnima, all of us take this step, the entire human population for next 15 days, 14 to 15 days, 
we don't come in contact with anybody, just sit by yourself. Finish pandemic is over in the world, this many people need not die, economies of nations need not be ruined, people need not be put to such hardship. All this is not necessary if only we were conscious. So one thing is to become conscious about how we are within ourselves, another is to be conscious about because another pandemic is unfolding itself rapidly, which is the ecological pandemic. Well, this could take many, many more lives than the virus will take. Much bigger disasters and much bigger challenges are just not even next generation, in this generation they're waiting if we don't do the right things. So, uh, I don't want to go into that detail today, but there are movements like this. So, we are looking at how people can participate. You can contribute five rupees, ten rupees, but on a steady basis, depending upon the volume of finance we have, because we have never surrendered our cause and the freedom of functioning as an unprejudiced organization to any major corporate or major funding. This is the reason why we don't have any major funding because most of the major funding comes with strings, unfortunately. So our contributions have always been like this from people. So we are looking how to make this happen so that one thing is to take this possibility of how a human being can generate the quality of his life or her life from within themselves. The quality of your life is determined by within, not by outside. If this one thing happens, that you know how to be blissful by your own nature, if this happens to at least sixty percent of the population, there will be no ecological challenge. You must understand ecological challenge is a consequence of human beings in search of well-being, ripping the planet apart. If well-being is guaranteed, human beings will naturally function in a much, much more conscious way. As a part of this, you can be a part of this Sangha which is striving. You don't have to do anything for me. See, people are taking care of food last two, three lifetimes. Food was always a problem, we were starved out. This life I'm well fed, my needs are small but I'm well fed. So you don't have to do anything to me, rest of it is <laughs> just paraphernalia. With or without it we can live, we have no issues about that. So you don't bother about doing anything to me. One thing is, your first commitment is, you're striving to become a blissful being, that's your first striving. Your second striving is how to support this striving that I have to see that everybody becomes blissful. In this process, in which way you can participate, please participate. I will… Uh, the Sangamitra is there, you can contact and see how, in how many different ways you can participate and make this happen. Let's make this happen. This is our life, this is our time on the planet. What wonderful things we do is left to us or what we don't do is also left to us and what horrible things we do to each other is also left to us.
Namaskaram Sadhguru. You have told us a beautiful story of Swami Vivekananda and Ramakrishna Paramhansa. Swami Vivekananda's mother was seriously ill and Ramakrishna told him that had Vivekananda prayed to Kali for his mother's health, Ramakrishna would never see him again. Sadhguru, what is so wrong about praying for one's mother's health that a guru would never see his disciple again? Now you're exposing how horrible the gurus are. See, there are many aspects to our life. Of these many aspects, a guru means, I know that word guru is being used uh, loosely today, management guru, marketing guru and whatever, whatever. We are not using the word in that context. When we say a guru, we are talking about someone who is committed to the ultimate nature of who you are. Well, Ramakrishna saying what he said, he wouldn't have said it to all the other hundreds of devotees who are hanging around. He says this only to Vivekananda, you must understand. Because he wouldn't uh, talk about taking your emotions for your mother or your health or uh, <laughs> seeking divine help for your mother's health. For other people he would have said, okay, go and pray. But for Vivekananda, he has set different standards. Because he's expecting this man to do something much more than what others will do. If he has to do those things, he should not be an asking fool, that he is not somebody who stands in front of the Devi and asks, I want this, I want that. So, for your mother's health, what you… right now, what he that moment needed was money. So he wants to go and ask for money. If money doesn't work, what's the next thing? You ask for a miracle. If miracle doesn't work, what is the next thing? You will ask him to raise the dead. Well, Ramakrishna knows the progression of human mind. Initially, you will say, my mother should be healthy, but she fell ill. Then you will say, I should have the money to get her treated. It didn't work. Then you want a miracle. Simply like that, she became well. Didn't work, she died then you want to raise the dead. So Ramakrishna, in one moment, he's seeing through this nature. And above all, he is looking at, he's preparing Vivekananda to be his instrument. And he wants a fine instrument, not a crusty one. So, preparing his instrument, is it more important than Vivekananda's mother? This is not one against the other, but see today even you, 
here in United States know who was Ramakrishna's guru? Do you know his father's name? Do you know his mother's name? Do you know his uncle, his brother? You know only his guru's name because for Vivekananda, Ramakrishna has become his dharma. He breathes him, but now social pressure, he is falling back. Should the guru allow him to fall him back or push him forward? This is the question you are asking. Well, I… if I was Vivekananda, I want to be pushed forward, not fall back upon my emotions. And anyway, if there was… if money could save her life, I'm sure Ramakrishna would have provided something. But you're seeking divine help? No, 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 this is something all of you must understand. This has happened a few times around me also, that you initiate somebody into a powerful process, next thing is uh, they want to help their mother or their uncle or their close cousin. They want to make him pass examination because the fool has not studied properly. Or they want him to get a lottery. Or they want him to get miraculously sit up in the bed where he is dying. The moment they do that, they will shatter everything within themselves. If, I'm saying, this is a conjecture, if Vivekananda had prayed for what he thought he wanted, where would… well, he would have become a psychological wreck, absolutely. So it's guru's business to see that that doesn't happen. But twenty-first century, very hard to make them listen. Vivekananda, twentieth century, Nineteenth. Nineteenth century only there was so much trouble. You can imagine my troubles. People will go sit in front of Devi and ask all kinds of things because they were doing it with Dhyanalinga. I put her up and say, okay, you have another counter to ask all these things. Because wherever there is a phenomenal sense of energy which is propelling you forward, at a certain space, then when you're moving at that speed, if you… because you're concerned about the tree, you held the tree, your arm will go. You lose something, it will shatter you, it will break you. So Ramakrishna is wanting him to be a rocket and the rocket wants to do this. No, rocket trajectory is already set. You don't try to do this and that, that will be a disastrous rocket. So in that context, he is saying that if you had done this, it was finished between you and me because you are anyway a broken failure rocket, a failed rocket. Does anybody go and pick it up? You may be thinking it will go to the moon and you fired it, but it boof, it went into the ocean. Does anybody go looking for it? No, it's finished, it's over, it's burnt up. So, in that context, Ramakrishna is saying, today, if you had done that, it was over because it would be not worth seeing you because you would be broken and you're gone. 
What do I do with a broken instrument? Today you have heard of Ramakrishna Paramahamsa because of Vivekananda. If that instrument was broken on that day, well, Ramakrishna's offering to the world would have gone completely waste. Well, I'm glad you didn't pick up Krishna, because Krishna said, <laughs> when Arjuna said, I don't want to kill all these people, hundred thousand men they're talking about. Krishna said, you must kill them, then you will realize. That is even a worse example, but that's the way it is, because when you seek ultimate nature, when you seek the source of your existence, small things, arrangements in your existence doesn't mean anything. If it means something, you do something to somebody, not it because it means something to me. Let me tell you this, today is Guru Purnima, I'll tell you don't tell anybody, okay? Whatever I'm doing, serving food to people who are starving, free education that's going on to thousands of children, so health support, the health initiatives that are going on for people who are deprived of that, and planting trees, Kaveri, all this, I'm doing because it means a lot to them, not because it means anything to me. If I close my eyes, I'm done with the world, with everybody. I'm talking not just about you or somebody, everybody, everybody, that means everybody. If I close my eyes, they're all gone, they're dead. But I do these things because it means so much to them. Without fulfilling those things, they will never even aspire for anything bigger. Right now somebody is hungry, are you going to talk to him about enlightenment? That'll be cruel. So we feed him, not because I get some great satisfaction in feeding him, no. I've always been saying, <laughs> I have no satisfaction in anything that I do, including spiritual work. Whenever people ask me, Sadhguru, you must be having so much fulfillment, seeing all these people joyful, blissful, what is my problem? They're joyful, blissful, miserable, what's my problem? I have no problem. Because they have a problem, I reach out. Because I didn't see them anything other than… other than as myself, I reached out, that's all. But if I shut my eyes, I'm done. I'm done with the world. I'm done with everybody and everything. Oh, so much work has happened, people are saying, how will you… Oh, who is your… Uh, who will carry your legacy, Sadhguru? Who will you appoint next? Nobody. If they're interested, they'll carry it on. If they don't think it's valuable, they'll drop it, it's up to them. I'll leave it to them. If they have not seen the value, if people have not seen the value of what's being done, let them drop it and turn it convert this into a hospital or a school or something, because that is how most spiritual organizations end up. 
I don't believe Isha Yoga Center will end up that way because many people have seen the value of it. Even though I constantly nag them, trouble them, create impediments to their work, make their work more and more difficult, this is not for any sadistic satisfaction, just to see how much it means to them. <laughs> they have proven that it means a lot to them. Life or death, they will do that. Whether I am there or not, they will do that. So, maybe not everybody, but a whole lot of them will do that. So it will continue because of that, because it means a lot to them. Not necessarily because it means a lot to them, because it will add to their life. It doesn't… all this work doesn't add a thing to my life. But it means so much to every other life, so you do it. If you choose not to do, many yogis, fantastic yogis, they do nothing. They're just withdrawn. Nothing wrong with them being like that. So, Ramakrishna is setting up a, a trajectory for a projectile that he's shooting. Now this projectile is having a mind of its own, emotions of its own. Now this is dangerous. If you are shooting a rocket to the moon or Mars, if it thinks of Hawaii, Hawaii will be destroyed. For sure. <laughs> so, this is a different dimension, it should never be judged by your understanding, by your emotions, by your values. This is why I said, when you come in touch with a guru, you can either… if you're using him as an inspiration, this will keep happening because somebody will keep dragging you this way, that way. See, many young boys in the yoga center, they all came determined, but then, you know, the girls were pretty. They got married, <laughs> nothing wrong. But I'm saying, like this, if you keep going and whatever small needs are taken care of, no problem. But if you change trajectory because small thoughts and emotions change, best we don't empower you. So I'm, as I said, uh, I'm not yet in the sunset stage, I will become far more colorful as I go, watch it. But right now, heading that way, it's four o'clock in the evening right now, in terms of the day for me. So it is summertime, summer is uh, here, sun is setting at uh, almost 8.45, 9 o'clock in the night, so there's still hours left. But. When it's four o'clock in the evening, the intensity of the sun is not like noontime. It's becoming prettier actually, it's becoming nicer. But at the same time, it becomes selective. See, when the sun is up at twelve o'clock, it shines on everybody, everybody, because it's up there. Four o'clock, unless you stick your neck out, it won't shine on you. That's where it's going right now. So, you must decide whether I am an inspiration for you or I am a… what? Friend, philosopher, guide for you 
or uh, I am a doorway for you that you got stuck in, or I am a destination for you, or I have become your dharma. Time to decide because this is not noon time where sun shines on everybody. You need to stick out for it to shine on you. Sadhguru, after the recent death of a Bollywood star, there is a lot of debate in the country about nepotism. After the recent death of a Bollywood star, there is a lot of debate in the country about nepotism. Some people believe it is their karma that they are born into a certain privilege. Is this true? <laughs> I know Hollywood is a place. I refuse to use the other word because I think it's... it's kind of ridiculous to use that word, but everybody has started using that word anyway. The Mumbai cinema scene lost a upcoming star. Well, you can always... and uh, he committed suicide, must be just over thirty years of age, I think, I'm not sure, I have not... I've only seen him now after his death, otherwise I had not heard or seen of him because I know very little about Indian cinema, I should say. <clears throat> so this young man who had a, a one, I think, very successful movie, who is an upcoming star, people were looking, him, looking at him as a promising talent. Suddenly, one morning he commits suicide, hangs himself. So kind of people are shocked. While you're particularly aiming at nepotism, well, that could also have added to things. But you must understand, every year, eight hundred thousand people take their own life. Between fifteen to twenty-nine years of age, suicide is one of the biggest causes of death in the world. Eight hundred thousand people per year means every forty seconds somebody is taking their own life. Why so many people want to take their own life? because in terms of food, world is better organized than ever before. Very few nations in the world still suffer from starvation. All other places, thirty percent of the world's population is obese, that means definitely there is no starvation. But certain part of the world, another thirty percent maybe, or another twenty percent in the world, unfortunately, are malnourished, a small number is towards starvation. In many ways, compared to any time in the history of humanity, our food is better organized. So that's not the reason for death, that people could not find food and they died. No, they're killing themselves, healthy people, well-to-do people are killing themselves. 
why would any individual want to take their own life? You do one thing, go outside, find an ant. See, you try to trap him, try to act like you want to harm him. He will do everything possible to save his life because that is the nature of life. An ant does not think, I'm just an ant, a worthless little ant, what is there if I die? That thought never occurs to him because he is programmed by nature. That life is the most significant dimension that's happening to him. Other aspects of his life, whether they're happening or not, we do not know. But he clearly knows the most fundamental and significant element of his life is life itself. Every creature in this world understands that. Only a human being somehow can defeat this. When your survival is in question, you also understand that. But when survival is not in question, then your psychological realities become bigger than your existential reality. Because of this, if it's wrong kind of thought process and emotions start happening, you will start moving in this direction. Well, there's a whole lot of people who constantly hitting me uh, because I said, whether you are well or ill, physically and mentally is your choice. Well, sometimes you may get infected with something, infections and things that come from outside are different. But things that you generate from within is entirely your choice. You may not know how you're making the wrong choices, but knowingly or unknowingly you're making the wrong choices because all chronic sufferings that you have, physical or mental, is generated from within. Maybe it is so strongly generated, sometimes you feel helpless about it. True, I agree with that. But at the same time, how much intensity of problem do you suffer and how you suffer is definitely controllable from within. A whole lot of people go into depressed modes, at various times in their lives, when things don't happen the way they think it should happen, if two things today do not happen the way you want them to happen, by today evening you may be somewhat depressed. In the evening, you may sit there and talk yourself out of it, or maybe you sit with your friend and they talk you out of it, sit with a loved one and they talk you out of it, or you slept over it and tomorrow morning, you are out of it. This is happening to a whole lot of people. But some people go into that and they are not able to come out. The slope was too steep, they could not climb up that evening or next day. They lasted for three days or five days and then they sought professional help. If you seek professional help also, in the initial stages, they are only trying to talk you out of it. You can call it a therapy, you can call it whatever. Essentially, they are trying to talk you out of it. Maybe they're professionally trained to do that, but your loved one or your friend may do it in their own way, or you might do it in your own way. So I'm saying, if you have slid into a depressed state, you can be talked out of it. If somebody can talk you out of it, you can also talk yourself out of it. You must understand, staying sane is hard work. 
<laughs> because going crazy is so easy. Staying sane in every kind of situation that you face is lots of work. Somebody was asking me this question about peace. Peace is not a flower that blossoms within you. You have to enforce it. You have to enforce it, you have to make sure that you're peaceful. Otherwise, when things that you don't like happen around you, if you are exposed to the world as I'm exposed, ninety percent of the time, things that you don't like are happening all over the damn place. So to lose your peace is very, very easy unless you learn how to enforce it. That means you've taken the faculties that you have into your hands. If your faculties of thought and emotion was in your hands, you would not go into depression. Well, why you went to depression, in what different ways circumstances pushed you into that, that is a questionable thing. In every family, when suicides happen, somebody will be feeling guilty about it because they think, oh, maybe I should not have said this. If I had not said this, it would have not happened. We don't know, maybe somebody else would have said it. Many parents have come to me like this, not one or two, many, where their teenage children have committed suicide just because they said something, you know. They said something little strongly at a certain moment because they're not studying properly or they're not behaving properly or one little push and they just went and took their life. Parents are living with that suffering for the rest of their lives because they keep on thinking it's because of me, I shouldn't have said it. But there is no such thing that you can say all kinds of things and nothing will happen. At one moment you say something and somebody could do this because all they needed was that little trigger. So did this young man die only because of nepotism? I don't know, I don't know the man but I don't think so. But did that also play a role, possibly in his mind, because he felt he was put into an unfair level of uh, competition. You cannot compete with somebody who are privileged or entitled in some way. Anyway, they will get what they have to get irrespective of their talent or their capabilities and you have to strive maybe doubly hard. Well, uh, that's how it is for all of us who are not born with a crown on our heads, that we always have to strive doubly harder, ten times harder than other people. It could be because of your, uh, you know, because you don't have your uncle in a godfather's place, or your skin color is not right, or you don't belong to the right caste or religion. Everywhere we are facing this all the time and Every human being faces this at various levels, in different ways. Some will overcome it, some will strive and fly beyond that, some will suffer that, some unfortunately take their life, which should not happen. I would say this taking of the life is mainly because our education systems have nothing. Nothing means absolutely nothing at all in the whole process of growing up as to how a human being should handle 
his or her faculties, how they should address themselves. It's all about fixing the world, it's all about knowing about the galaxies out there, about every atom in the universe, all kinds of stuff, not a thing about this one. For that we are paying a price as a generation. Eight hundred thousand people, every forty seconds, a person who need not die, dies of their own hand. This is the worst trage tragedy that's happening in the world and people are expecting these numbers will rise in the next ten years in a big way. Whatever that big way is, if eight hundred thousand is not big enough, what is big, I don't know. This is mainly because there is no system teaching how to manage your chemistry. This is why yoga, this is why inner engineering is so significant. If you just learn to think and feel the way you want, this will not happen in your life. This should not happen in anybody's life because as it is, it's a brief life. It's not for you to end it. Time will come for that. For all this, the fundamental thing is, you must become a blissful chemistry. If this one thing, if you work for, if you provide tools for every human being on this planet to make this happen, now we're starting a movement in uh, Tamil Nadu. Once this pandemic threat goes away reasonably, we will start this in village to village, town to town. The simple practice of Surya Shakti, how to manage your energies the way you want. If your energies are exuberant, you will not take your life, they've become feeble. They might not have become feeble because of physiological conditions, they've become feeble, suppressed by the weight of your psychological stuff. Because of that, energies have become feeble. If you had just learnt how to think and feel the way you want, this would never have occurred to you in your life. This must happen that whether everybody will attain to their ultimate or not, we do not know. We will strive, but everybody, this much… this… this much must happen, that their experience of life in whatever little things that they're doing in their life must be pleasant. This we can definitely achieve. If every one of you stand up and strive, this is very much possible that we can create a generation where their experience of life is pleasant. They need not imbibe any chemicals in the form of drugs, alcohol or this or that. Simply to sit here peacefully and blissfully, every human being should be capable of this because this much awareness and intelligence is invested in every human being. Namaskaram, my… my blessings to you on this day, depending upon how willing you are, I am available to you, it's four o'clock anyway. Sounds sufficient? Say this after me. Hmm? Okay, please.
Jesus.